Welcome to First 100K, the show where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, digging deep to find the tools, tactics, and superpowers that you can use to go from A to 100K. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also the owner of two co-working spaces in Tampa, Florida, where I have the privilege of helping hundreds of entrepreneurs to start, launch, and grow successful businesses. Today, our featured guest is fearless entrepreneur Chris Kremitzos, who runs Tampa Bay Business Owners. Chris, welcome to the show. Are you ready to serve up some value to our amazing listeners? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. So, Chris, um, take two minutes and... uh, Tell us something about yourself personally that very few people in your business life know about you. Something personal. Uh, personally, uh, that's a really great question. Uh, I used to, when I was 13 or 12 years old, I used to sell candy in uh, school. And I used to bring in about $20 a day. Ten of it was profit. And then I got busted by the uh, during homeroom. Uh, is that what they call the morning? Homeroom. Uh, yeah, homeroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I morning. remember that. Some chick couldn't wait for her bubble yum, and she wanted to broker a deal right in front of the teacher. Teacher saw it, got me reported, got reported to the dean's office, and oh. I learned very quick about regulations and <laughs> government red tape. I was competing with the school. Uh, what was interesting too, I was so successful. Another kid came on to the uh, you know school selling candy, and his dad. I would go to the local supermarket. His dad would take him to Price Club. So he had better prices. Oh, but yeah. But I had, had a customer good loyalty, so I still made money, which I found very interesting. So I learned a lot about business in this little microcosm at 12 to 13 years of age. Learned about government regulations <laughs> shutting you down. Learned about competition and also customer loyalty. So that was a cool little you know, learning lesson. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you know, folks, we're going to have a great show today. One thing I like about Chris is his uh, sense of humor. Sometimes it's a dry sense of humor, you got, but his wit is always there, and he's going to drop a, a lot of value during this podcast, so listen up. All right, Chris, let's get down to business. Uh, audience always wants to know, how much revenue did you bring in last year? Uh, just, well, it's... Approximate. Well, I, I sold the business and took it back over, so... Okay. Uh, somewhere around 150000 but prior to that, that same business was doing about 300000 Okay, excellent. And what are you on track to gross this year? Uh, this year, just about the same. Right now, I, I came back. Uh, basically, the story for me is I sold the business I had, took it back over 100%. So now I'm back in what they call damage control, mm. building it back up. So I get that. Uh, if, we, if we hit the 150 mark, I'm, I stabilize you know, the bleeding, so to speak, which I think we have. And then next year is a new year. So right now, I'm just looking to... Uh, finish strong for the end of the year and then regrouping for next year. I get that. Sometimes you got to take a step backwards, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I did pretty well in the sales, so yeah. it all worked out, but it's something that I, you know, it's something I created, so I want to make sure it survives. Can I ask you a personal question on that? Yeah, go Is ahead. your passion still there? For community building, yes. And what okay. we found is I had to find what is my passion within it, and it's innovation. So now we're spearheading uh, education for entrepreneurs on innovation. So we're doing artificial intelligence trainings and all this cutting-edge stuff. So you kind of have to find where your passion is within what you're doing. So that, that was hey, for me. Yeah, I get that. So uh, just for our audience, kind of go um, describe what Tampa Bay Business Owners is specifically, where you're taking it in the next three years. Yeah, about nine years ago, I started a little community group called Tampa Bay Business Owners for local entrepreneurs that were business owners to belong to. And we started with you know, 10, 20 members, went to 40, then 80, then 100, then 200, then 300. Then I, I kind of... Um, I got burned out because uh, we had done over the course of eight years at that time, like 1,400 events. Wow. And it was uh, literally 150, 200 events a year. So uh, it grinded me to a halt because I wasn't refreshing you know, what I needed. Luckily, I found a business partner 
to kind of uh, buy me out. And then uh, I took a break, was able to launch a huge conference out of Orlando that uh, Joseph, you attended called Podfest Multimedia Expo. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So grew that kind of out of the out of that period of time and then came back into it. So what we do is we have uh, trainings, education, uh, networking events for business owners, and we have everything is branded. So the biggest event of the month is called our main event. That's on the first Wednesdays. About 100 entrepreneurs show up for that. That's an interview with another entrepreneur. The Then we have success safaris, on-site, story-driven uh, tours of business. So we do a lot of really cool things, and that's kind of what Tampa Bay Business Owners is. Now, we've scaled down the events. Now, we do about 70 a year. Gotcha. So as you step back into this role in the, in this business, right, Do you yet you still have a foot, obviously, uh, in PodFest and, and podcasting and moving in that vertical. Uh, do you see the two somehow connecting, or building bridges there, uh, overlapping, cross-pollinating, or completely distinct from each other? They're distinct business entities. Uh, however, there is an overlap in that we took the culture that I built over nine years in TBBO and infused that into PodFest. So mm. when people show up to PodFest, and you know this, Joseph, you were there because you're part of that culture, of us all helping each other out. You could feel it at that conference, whereas most of those big conferences, does they don't have that um, cultural feel. Yeah. You just do your thing, you go home. Ours was a family, almost from the moment everybody showed up, it was like a reunion. So I, that spread out to the attendees that didn't know anyone because you, Joseph, would go up to someone like, hey, you should, you should don't be shy, come meet someone. And that helped us you know, create a, the culture. Yeah, and let me speak for myself in that experience, right? Because you invited me personally to that. I show up, I knew nothing about podcasting for the most part other than, yeah, I think I want to start a podcast. And people are like, well, what's your podcast about? And I'm like, I have no idea, right? That's kind of why I'm here. And they were so welcoming. Um, and the uh, birth of my faith-based podcast, uh, Broken Catholic, happened right at your event. So I just wanted to personally on the air thank you for that and say I'm grateful to you because that wouldn't have happened uh, had you not orchestrated all those people in that same room over that weekend. Yeah, no, thank you for taking me up on the offer to attend and, and be part of that. We're expecting over 1,000 attendees next year. So the, the conference has grown, and that's um, that gets me really excited about the conference space. Yeah, I've never really dabbled in it until I moved PodFest to Orlando and got to play at that level it's actually easier than mm. playing at the local level the local level is extremely competitive as joseph you know uh amongst <laughs> I characters for a little bit and got right out well yeah. and it also well no I'm in, in just in general even with the creative space people mm -hmm. start competing with you on the on the national level when you do these big conferences and trade shows it's so difficult to break even Mm -hmm. uh, after three years like it, you're expected to take a loss for your first three years that's the general consensus that very few conferences survive. So if you're able to get over uh, to the plus side and then get to mass numbers, it's a very unique uh, business opportunity. So if it wasn't for TBBO, that wouldn't even be an opportunity for me because we were able to uh, incubate it under our community for a time. Yeah, I get that. So if you're just joining us now, we're speaking with our guest, Chris Kremitzos, and uh, he pretty much is a community builder, right? A culture builder. Um, he's done it in the event space with TBBO, and now he's doing it in the podcast conference uh, space. And Chris, you know, we all love to hear the wisdom of millionaires and billionaires, but we struggle to, re to relate to them, right? Because 90% of us entrepreneurs haven't made our first $100,000. We're still in that hustle mode. 
Take us back to when you were struggling to make your first 100K with TBBO and paint us a vivid picture and tell us that story. Well, Tampa Bay Business Owners was a very tough thing to uh, make money because it was a membership-driven model, meaning people have to pay yearly dues, then you service those yearly dues with a lot of events. And um, it took us five years to even break even. So I was able to fund it out of profits from another business where I had hit a million dollars um, within about our first 13 months in the contracting space. So the first five years, I would literally, for the first 40 months, I tried to make payroll at the end of every month. So it was very tough. Mm. Uh, we were very fortunate to find an angel investor a couple years in that floated us $30,000. And we would tap into it whenever there was a month that we were short 1000 or 1500 And then we were able to pay them back uh, with interest. So the first five years were uh, crazy. Then we broke even. And I remember it was a weird feeling like there wasn't the weight of the world on me anymore. I actually enjoyed the the grind of having mm. to survive, believe it or not. There's something enjoyable about it. Mm. So I'm a very unique entrepreneur, and I actually enjoy what I call the brokenness. And my tip to anyone is enjoy the brokenness because it's temporary. So I enjoyed that. Then we broke even. And then it was year six or seven. You know, Profit was flowing freely. We had some big signature events, um, and we hit about $330,000 in revenue. And basically um, – it was a great feeling, but um, what I, I'll tell you what I realized, and this is going to sound funny. I don't do what I do for the money. Uh, I do it because I really enjoy bringing the community together. I actually got bored the moment we became really profitable and all the events were already, uh, and that's what you were picking up on. Everything was, I remember uh, we were planning the next year, and I knew every day of the year what I was going to be doing. There was mm. nothing to create anymore. I had created all the events. I had the two signature events. And I remember at that point, and probably that was early on, uh, back then I should have, probably look to uh, transition the leadership at that time, but there was nothing for me to do. That's why mm. now coming back, I'm excited because there's a lot for me to do and fix. And you got brokenness. Right, brokenness. So I enjoy, yeah. I, well, yeah, luckily we have the funds now to float the uh, the ship and make sure everything mm -hmm. comes back. But I enjoy the uh, the hustle, like the, mm. the hard, when it's hard, I, I really it. enjoy it. Now, um, making that 100000 it was it was great. It felt great, but it, for me, I didn't have anything to create. So I had to realize like, okay, for me, I need to create. That's why PodFest for me is very exciting. I have to create something from scratch. When these events grow, uh, like PodFest next year will not be the same as last year. It doubles in size. So you have to facilitate that. Almost every year you have to reinvent yourself. So mm. it's really exciting when you have things that you have to like recreate the wheel or figure out, okay, how do I facilitate that? So what I realized when money was flowing freely is that my skill set is in creating and innovating. That's where my skill set is. Mm. It's not in maintaining. I'm not the manager of a business. That's so you're not day-to-day. -day. I'm not a good day-to-day -day person. Yeah. I'm more of the idea like what's next. You're the starter. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, I'm the starter innovator. Yep. So I, I'm not, so that's something, you know, when you when you hit that plateau, you could kind of look back and be like, okay, well, what motivates me? Because now I made what everybody considers, hey, this is the sweet spot. But for me, the sweet spot is creating and, and innovating. So that's where – Yeah. Uh, and, and I was doing it for seven or eight years, you know, thousands of events. So mm -hmm. that was kind of where I was at. And I like that. And what's showing up for me and what you're saying, Chris, is that, you know, you got to that sweet spot. You don't check out with, like, ownership in the company, but you check out with your personal time invested in, in the company and yeah. now go start something it, it else. It happens subconsciously, really, in the exactly. beginning because you don't want to consciously admit it sometimes, yeah. especially if you created – let's say you, you just built this really beautiful car. Yeah. And now it's like, wow, you don't want to drive it. You want to go <laughs> build another car. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to be – I'm now cognizant of it after it happened. But when it was happening, it was a slow process of, like, 
not so excited to go into work today because mm. you have to just rinse and repeat the same thing you did last year. Now, let me ask you this. With the uh, podcasting conferences, uh, how soon? at what point do you think that's you're going to tap out on that and it's going to lose its spontaneity? Honestly, the, the difference with the podcasting conferences is they're highly profitable in that uh, those are seven, eight-figure type industries. So, um, you know, it took me about eight or nine years. Uh, I don't. I th- I have a feeling that those will last a lot longer because, mm-hmm. like I said, every time they grow, it's not the same conference you did last year. Got it. And they always have problems. So new sets of problems. And I enjoy yeah. that. Yeah. So now you got to troubleshoot how to fix it. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, you're very familiar with our local events. We have two big local events uh, that we do every year. One called Christmas in July with a mm-hmm. taste of tequila, which gets 500 people. I don't think there's been a year where something didn't go wrong, where you debriefed and you're like, okay, now they're amazing events. Like I'm hitting it when people listen. I'm hitting like 90% out of the, like the, it's the best event locally, but now I'm looking at the 10%. What do I need to fix? So with those big events, there's always challenges. So you always Mm got to figure out venue size, uh, flow for the vendors, how people are going to transact with each other business. Um, You know, is the music too loud? All those little details. But that's kind of, that's where I live in that 10%, what needs to be fixed, you know? I get that. So one thing I uh, that occurs to me is with a lot of creative individuals, creative entrepreneurs, we tend to be perfectionist, right? How have you had to wrestle with that in those early years where you, maybe you had to let go of your perfectionism and just get something up and running, get something going? Yeah, so I have a lot of good stories on perfectionism. Um, early years, my AV guy, Anthony, I had a way of how I wanted things. And I literally, he and I would have a shouting match inside the room in front of all our attendees. Not real. I was young wow. and impetuous, not realizing like what the, that looked like damage. to the attendees. Yeah, yeah. those are the first few months. Luckily, it was all fresh and everybody was just getting used to it. Yeah. But I'd yell at him. People would be watching me at the back. He'd <sighs> yell at me, and then I, <laughs> now you look back on it, you're like, "What are you doing?" You know, you don't ever yell. First off, you shouldn't be yelling. You should, he, Behind he, closed doors. Well, yeah, you yeah. should, and you should talk to him more. But he wouldn't listen, and he would, he would animate me to where we're having a shouting match. So that's a perfect. And I realized after a certain point, like, okay, this guy is only going to get to this level for this, mm. I need to be okay with that because if I want to go to the next level, it'll cost you five times more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you check things out. So, you, so that was kind of, I came at the piece because Anthony does a great job, but at the time I had, like you said, uh, a vision of perfectionism that maybe wasn't uh, correct for the, the venue we were doing. So that's one thing. Uh, and then there's times when, like, for instance, you have a month to promote an event. And you're wrestling with a flyer, and there's a sentence that's not perfect. <laughs> and you're sitting there looking at the sentence, and it's sitting on my desk. And my team's like, "When's the flyer? Give me another day. Give me another day." Now I realize, like, even if the flyer is not a hundred percent, just release it and fix it on the fly. So that's what we do now. But that took me years to. That's probably why I burnt out was because of the mm. perfectionism of having to have everything perfect. Uh, it, it wears on you after a while. So now I'm not. Um, I understand that there's a give or take. Mm-hmm. I still battle with it. If you have it, it's usually from, you know, how you were brought up by your parents. So it's always going to be inside you. But I could tell you this much. I, I used to go to other people's events and criticize in my head mm-hmm. and not be able to enjoy it. Now I, I'm able to at least turn it off. If I go, let's say someone's got an event, I'm going to enjoy the event and have a great time and not sit there saying, oh, they could have done this, could have done that. Mm. It's not it's not my event. So no. what am I worried about it? Just enjoy yeah. it for what it is. So actually, I have a great time when I go to other people's events because one, I'm not putting it on. And I get to enjoy it freely. So it's just something as you get older, you realize how to um, – some people don't. But you realize where the gifts are for your perfectionism and yeah. where the downfalls are. And you got to be very careful because the downfalls, especially for people that are perfectionists, is uh, 
It's very dangerous because when you don't shut that thing off, that noise, it, it really gets to you. Heck yeah. You see everything wrong in a picture instead of everything right. Exactly, right? You you lose the beauty in life. You, yeah, you lose Just the in living. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that comes up uh, somewhat often on the show already is what's your superpower? Like if you had to clear out all the noise, what's the one thing Chris Kremotsos is phenomenal at and cannot be outsourced? Uh, I would say bringing people together, bringing the right people together. So uh, a community builder because I, I don't think there's a – there's very few people that I don't that would be I, I would say I'm one of the best in the world confidently saying that uh, and I think I'll prove that now with these conferences on the na national international stage so bringing people together and forging relationships there's a, a skill that I have that I've developed that is uh, is probably my superpower that's pretty cool and that's a bold claim so I'm looking forward to yeah, yeah, this yeah. manifesting Right on a bigger yeah, platform. Yeah, you've seen it locally, but I yeah, think exactly. now I'll put it on the national stage. And and I think if it's going to work locally, it's going to work nationally. I would right? say so, internationally. Yeah. Cool. Describe your biggest fail uh, that you had before making your first 100k, in your mind. Um, you know, it was just I would do a lot of side businesses, uh, and we would start and stop, and I would never see it through. Mm. Uh, like I remember, we used to sell a friend of mine and I. We used to sell flavored cappuccinos to diners in the New York City area. Um, and I would, I would take on partners because of my insecurity and that would, uh, I ha ultimately had someone to blame for my lack of success. <laughs> so that would, I get that. that would happen a lot in the early years for me. Um, and I'd always say, Oh, it's their fault because of this. But I had to ask myself, well, why are you taking on partners? Mm -hmm. w what's going on behind that? So I, I had a couple of businesses where, um, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I'm not new to business. Right. where things crash and burn and I was able to blame other people but at the end of the day I'm the one that made the decision to trust those people so now um, I follow my gut my intuition plus I have a lot of experiences to pull from so mm. I'm very careful about uh, who I bring in and who I work with so as you're hearing Chris uh, talk about his insecurities what's showing up for you as you're listening right now who are the people you're surrounding yourself with in business are they people that are actually leading you towards the vision that you've set or are they just filling that gap in your own insecurity, maybe just being possible scapegoats for when you fail, right? So really wrestle with that, sit with that for a minute. So Chris, we all have fears. What was the fear that was holding you back from winning at that time in your business? Well, probably the fear of success uh, because I would find other people to blame for my lack of success. I'll tell you a cool story. Yeah. And this is one that I'll never forget. So we had this one gentleman that had come from Greece. My parents are from Greece. And he was, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but he was a compulsive gambler. And he would blame his ex-wife. and All his lot in life was always blamed on someone else. And then he said to me, hey, we should get into the general contracting business because you can make a lot of money. And at the time, I was chasing money. I was like 22. I'm like, all right. I just saved up about forty, fifty thousand working at Geico Insurance doing overnights. And um, I went into business with him. And I remember bringing a friend of mine who was more savvy in business sitting down to be part of that partnership. And my friend said, I can't do it. And my friend had the money and he wanted to invest in something profitable. And he said to me, Chris, uh, I don't trust that one gentleman. Mm. And he said, let me give you a, an analogy my dad always told me. You could have a Hyundai, a four-cylinder Hyundai, where all four cylinders work well. And you could race it against a Ferrari where one cylinder is broken. Eventually, the Hyundai will always win because the cylinders all work. No matter how nice the car looks from the outside, if one of those cylinders is broken, it's going to eventually conk out. It's going to tire out the other cylinders. So he basically, in a, an analogy format, he was just trying to tell me that one gentleman he didn't mm. trust. 
Well, later on, of course, he was right. That gentleman would gamble all the profits of the business. <sighs> uh, within a, a few months, I actually told him, I, you know, I, I don't want to be partners with you. Now I was out my uh, 40 of my 50,000. I had 10,000 left. I found a mentor in the business, not knowing, I didn't know nothing about construction, taught me the sales and the business side. He had the connection for the crews, and we wound up making uh, making uh, over a million dollars in sales within 13 months in business together. But I was willing to uh, learn from the lesson. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always remember that if one cylinder is broken in a partnership or a situation, you either replace that cylinder or you don't get into that car because you know it's <laughs> going to break down. So that would, I love that. I've never heard that before. Yeah. It's just I, I never forgot it. Let me let me tell you yeah, that. Yeah, that's memorable. The cylinder is broken. Why would you get in that car? So if you have gut feelings, you don't trust someone 100%. Well, why are you getting in that car? Yeah, and we're all chasing the Ferraris. Everybody you know? at the time, yeah. yeah, I was always I, – I stopped doing that eventually. But, yeah, the Ferrari always gets you because it looks nice, shiny. You can make a lot of money. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you look good. And then – uh, but if it's not running 100%, it's not going to get you to. You know, I watch uh, Shark Tank, right? So many people watch Shark Tank. And I look at some of those investors, and I'll make them nameless. But there's certain ones on there. To me, they're a broken cylinder. I would Now, they've achieved stuff in life. Don't get me wrong. I would never do business with them, like ever. And they are a shiny Ferrari. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, that's your intuition. You've done yeah. business enough to know that some of those individuals are toxic mm -hmm. to your situation. And that's... That's what you, as you grow in business, you learn that, but you have to go through trial and error. Yeah. Uh, so if someone says, uh, you know, do you regret some of your biggest uh, failures? I would tell you no. They taught me everything where I am today. Yeah. However, in the moment, they were really painful. Yeah, but the greatest teacher ever. So let's go there. And maybe you just described it. If so, we'll skip this one. Uh, but I'd like you to describe the biggest aha moment that inspired uh, and pushed you over that $100,000 mark. Uh, I wouldn't call it an aha moment because I had already uh, I was already pretty successful in business. Uh, I'll tell you what happened for me. The aha moment was this business model called Tim Bay Business Owners. If I don't do a back end consulting model, I'll never make more than a hundred grand a year either. Mm. So there's another aha moment like I could work my ass off, but it's it's in a localized region competing with chambers and so it had a ceiling to it has a ceiling yeah. so that was really my aha moment was like wait a minute like okay i love what i'm doing but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make a lot as an entrepreneur i want to make a lot of money i don't think there's anything wrong with that mm -hmm. so the aha moment was like okay you're in a you're in an, a local economy kind of like when you go to the itunes stores and, and downloads for music is 99 cents you could try selling it for 12.99 but if everybody's buying music there's a ceiling so that the aha moment at the time was okay figure out what um Figure out what channels maybe you could pursue, and that's when I pursued the podcasting conference to see where that would go, and that has that has done really well for us. So that'll allow me to like I can make the same amount of revenues I make with this local community mm -hmm. on one event. Well, I'm doing 150 events at the time. Yeah. For the same money, think about that yeah. one event, same amount of revenues compared to 150 events. I love it. See, I'm attracted to that because it has scalability. To scalability it. and millennials yeah. now do want to go to conferences, mm -hmm. but they're probably not going to show up weekly or monthly. They, mm -hmm. they like the freedom. So I liked, and I like meeting them once a year. I don't have to live with them either. So everybody wins. <laughs> everybody wins. All right. So it's really easy for us to have aha moments like that and then do nothing with it, but it's much harder to execute and make it real, right? Because there's all this hype out there, especially with entrepreneurs. Walk us through the details of exactly how you made that happen because you literally had to cross a fear, right, of leaving behind something that's working, that's winning, but has a ceiling to it, and then jumping into a completely unknown. Yeah, there's a lot of fear because also my uh, locally, and you know this, people know me 
as mm-hmm. part of that brand. So there's a lot of doors that open because of that. So I really considered that heavily. Um, and what happened was my health started to suffer. And then mm. because of the stress. I didn't know be- that. Being stuck in a, in, a, in a place. So once that started to happen, I really had to evaluate uh, what is your next step? What do you need to do? And when I, I basically, I told my wife I'm ready to find a partner or something, you know, uh, in Tampa Bay business owners. And at that time, she said, okay, well, put it out to the universe. And uh, as luck would have it, uh, two people canceled out on a radio show that morning, two very um, steady Freddy type people. And I was called in to do a last minute uh, plug in. And during that radio show, uh, the host was saying how he was looking to uh, start a community. So it was like perfect timing, almost like hmm. divine intervention. And then at PodFest, we were able to iron out all the details on a handkerchief and make a deal that made me happy, made him happy, and uh, it was just a blessing. But I think before that, I hadn't released. I was still holding on. Mm -hmm. I literally, like mentally, I had released. And the moment I did that and I had faith that things would work out the next day, everything kind of fell into place on its own without Mm -hmm. me looking for anyone. It kind of found me. Now, now coming back, because you started earlier that, you know, you've had to buy back the business and take over and stuff like that. Do you see that now looking back as a regret where no, then it appeared ready. as magical? No, and I know what you're saying, because now it's like, hey, golden goose yeah. goes somewhere. It doesn't go as well. Was it now a Ferrari, it right? right? Missing a cylinder? Yeah, yeah. Right now we, we're fixing that cylinder. Um, yeah. It wasn't a regret because mentally I was ready. So okay. I can't. I've thought about that, too. And I would have made the same decision over and over. I needed a break. Got it. So it would have been him. It would have been someone else. So, uh, and, and I was very grateful to get that mental break and now come back in and be fresh and everything's mm. going really well. So we're, we're, we're doing really well. Eventually, we'll probably find another business partner or a full-time employee to run uh, Tampa Bay Business Owners as an executive director. Okay. I get that. Thanks for that. All right, cool. So looking back to your first $100,000, in your opinion, Chris, what was the number one thing that pushed you over that hurdle? I think just the consistency of uh, doing what for me in in uh, an event model business, people have to see that you're consistent. So I think after five years, people seeing us in the community and the consistency of the brand, uh, what pushed us over was just people trusted us. And Mm. a lot of people that we had talked to a year, two years, three years, four years before started joining in droves like we would have new members, 20, 25 in a month, which is wow. incredible if you think about it. Yeah, for sure. Paying about 800 bucks a piece for the year. Sure. So we, um, the consistency is what drove us. So it was the consistency of the brand and people knowing that we're not going anywhere and the delivery of excellence in our education. So mm. those are the factors that kind of drove it. And remember, we're an event model business. Other people, let's say you're going into plumbing, you should be profitable within your second or third year. If yeah. you're not, there's something wrong. I get that. Because the demand is, is pretty intense. I get that. And I really appreciate you clarifying that the focus was on the consistency and the value you were delivering to the community. The education, the excellence, yeah. yep. Yeah, for sure. And not just, hey, I'm just looking to make some money for me. How can I take, take, take mm-hmm. from the community? And many of us fall into that trap. It's just our human brokenness, yeah? Yeah, we would give people all kinds of amazing gifts, and uh, uh, I'd send postcards on my vacations. We were very tight-knit. That first group was an amazing group of individuals, and I'll, uh, I still have those relationships. So it was a very cool experience. Yeah, you're definitely a relationship guy, probably being Greek, you know, and all. Maybe. Yeah, I love relationships. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're both Greek. We're both from New York. You know, look at this, (laughs) man. Watch out. All right, so what was the best advice you received back then before you made your first 100K? Your best uh, business advice? Uh, My Uncle Jimmy uh, lived on the water in Gulf Harbors, and he had this beautiful home. 
And one day he actually took me down to his uh, office and he was looking through all his uh, file cabinets. So Uncle Jimmy retired, I think, in in the 90s. But he was looking through his file cabinets from the 80s. He had all this information and he was really upset. And he goes, I can't believe this. And I go, what's going on, Uncle Jimmy? He he was a meticulous record uh, keeper. He used to be in the ice cream wholesale business. And he said, you know, if we had spent our time facilitating the 80% of the people that paid us on time, we would have been a lot larger. Now, to give you an example, he had 1,200 accounts, so he was pretty mm. large. But he uh, explained how one day he was finding that money was missing, but he couldn't figure out from where. And he found out that a guy that owned two very busy restaurants uh, was paying him, but he was paying him early. I said, Uncle Jimmy, what's the problem with paying early? He goes, well, he was paying what he felt like it. So let's say the two-and-a-half-gallon drums of ice cream were $9. A wholesaler only works on 10% margins, if anyone mm-hmm. doesn't know that. If you're in the wholesale industry, usually you're working on 10% margins. So this guy would pay 8 bucks. So he right there, my uncle's taking a loss delivering ice cream to this guy's place. So he winds up uh, visiting the guy with his partner, Zeno, and he said, uh, he said, the guy's name was Paul. He goes, Paul, uh, I love your business. And Paul goes, isn't it great? Does anyone pay you before the invoice comes in? He goes, no, no one does that, that's for sure. He goes, but you're paying me what you feel like. I'd appreciate if you pay me what I'm worth. So uh, Paul said, okay, Jimmy, I'm sorry. No, no problem. Okay, okay. Now, remember, this is before QuickBooks was all automated. You had to really find money. Yeah, leaking. sure. So Uncle Jimmy is a good bookkeeper because most business owners to this day couldn't find it. Six months later, money's missing again. And small amounts of money, but he's trying to figure out, like, where's this coming from? He's like, I hope it's not Paul. So he looks in Paul's records, and Paul's paying eight fifty. you know, paying what he feels like it. So my Uncle Jimmy shows up with his partner, Zeno, and his partner was a peacemaker. He's like, Jimmy, let's keep him happy. We got his accounts. And my uncle's like, why would I want to? Uh, serve ice cream to someone that's c- clipping me and I'm right. not even making money. We have accounts that are losing money. Yeah, we money. have 1,200 accounts, 1,100 yeah. accounts. What do I need this guy for? So long story short, Uncle Jimmy had a, uh, he has a grilled cheese deluxe. That's usually grilled cheese with cider fries, basically what that means, and a Coke. And his bill comes to like, I don't know, $12.75. So he shows up to the cashier, and cashier Mary knows my uncle. Hey, uh, Jimmy, how you doing? Good, good, good. Gives her a $10 bill. And she says, Jimmy, uh, you must have made a mistake. The bill is twelve dollars and seventy-five cents. He goes, you know, uh, Mary, I don't want to. Uh, you and I, I don't want to discuss this. Go get Paul. So she gets Paul, and Paul goes, Jimmy, the the ticket says twelve seventy-five, and my uncle goes, yeah, I know that. Today I feel like paying ten bucks. That's what the meal was worth to me. Paul goes, you can't do that. He goes, why not? He goes, because it's twelve seventy-five. And then you know, my uncle Jim's like, well, you've been doing it to me, you bastard. And they start yelling in the middle of a diner. Everybody's just fro- frozen. And he fired his client. Now, he told me this story, and it made me understand that when you're doing business, you have to stand by your value. So mm. anyone that didn't see the value in what I was providing, mm. I wouldn't sit there and try and make deals. I would just say, hey, uh, this is our prices. If you, if you, Great. If you could uh, budget it in, let's do business. But if you want me to cut my prices, that's not going to happen. So that's a, that's a lesson I always learned. Stand by your value, especially if you know you're in the range of what the value you're providing. Got it. That's good advice. All right, cool. Um, share one of your daily habits back then that helped you to get where you are today. So something you did every day, a consistent action. Uh, very simple. If I had met someone, um, this is before I had a full network set up, I would ask them if they needed any connections. And based on all the people I had met, if there was someone that I felt was credible, I would do an e-introduction a day. So I would say, Joseph, meet Chris. And then I'd explain in the email why. It'd take me about 20 minutes to write the email. And I would create, uh, in a given week, I would do 10 to 20 introductions. That made me a power broker almost immediately because now I'm connecting people and I'm creating mm. a lot of value. So I don't do that. I, I'm doing one today for a friend. But I don't do that as, as a practice every day because I don't need to. I've built up my database. 
and I, I do it when the opportunity arises. But at the time, I would do it as a almost as a practice each and every day to connect all these people so they could see value in uh, what I was bringing to the table. All right, very cool. I like that. So what is uh, your favorite website, app, or digital resource that you use as a business owner and why? Uh, favorite website, probably YouTube. Uh, I enjoy learning through YouTube videos. So right now I found a really cool channel about – uh, the history of uh, Roman and Greek civilization. It talks about the wars and the generals and the government. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but I found it online. And then Coyote Peterson, he's a, a huge uh, Brave Wilderness is the channel. He's a wildlife expert, so I love learning mm. about that. So every Tuesday he releases a, an episode. So I love uh, that. And then with, in the podcasting world, I'm sure I'm going to be listening to this podcast because uh, you're a very good interviewer. And then I'll probably be listening. I usually listen to... Uh, Tim Ferriss, if he has something good, but yeah. my top podcast is Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience. He has a lot of interesting characters, and then he has his comedian friends, which makes it interesting. So that's probably my top uh, resource. He has a lot of thought leaders on there too. That's cool. And I was going to ask you your favorite podcast, so thanks for sharing that. You got you went ahead and you paid me the amount you thought I wanted, so thanks for that. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, so Chris, uh, welcome to the hustle round. I'm going to ask you 12 quick-fire questions. You'll have three seconds to answer each. Are you ready? Let's go. First thing that comes to you. Uh, what's your favorite sound? My kid laughing. What's your least favorite sound? Uh, people just hemming and hawing. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I want to be a diner owner. <laughs> so Greek. I love it. What are you most afraid of? Uh, not accomplishing everything I was meant to do. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in business? Uh, I actually spend too much time on sales, not enough time on uh, uh, bookkeeping. Got it. I know that sounds weird, but yeah, I, that's I was, actually so, I was yeah. so top heavy on sales, I didn't watch the books. Okay, got it. What secret fear do you have about people? About people? Yeah, if you were being really vulnerable. Maybe uh, just like everybody else wanting to be liked. So maybe someone doesn't mm. like you. That would That would be probably one of them. Got it. What do you wish you had learned sooner in your business, in TBBO? Probably, uh, in general, just bookkeeping. TBBO, I got a handle by then, but I had a lot of business prior. I just wish I kept better books and paid myself first. Okay, got it. Uh, what is a new habit that you'd like to form now? Uh, when I get up early in the morning, getting out to the office first thing in the morning instead of uh, lingering. Okay, and what's a bad habit you'd like to break? Right now, I, got, I, I stay up all night, so sleeping <sighs> all night would be a great thing for me. Wow, man. And you have a baby at home. How do you do that? Well, she sleeps like a rock, but uh, I have trouble sleeping at night. So that's one thing I got to break. Got it. Okay. And pick three words to describe who you are right now. I'm a super connector. Is that three? Super connector? <laughs> that would be one. I'm a. That would be a term. <laughs> what else? Uh, facilitator. Ha. Okay. One more. Uh, community builder. Okay. Pick three words to describe who you were back then before your first 100K. Hustler. Uh, I was... Uh, I embodied perseverance and passion. Got it. Very cool. Imagine sometime in the distant future and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. I'd probably just put something like a man that kept his feet on the ground and eyes on the stars. I like it. 
And last question, Chris, if you could come back to life after you died and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Uh, just to be present in the moment and enjoy the downs as much as the ups because they're both precious. Got it. Chris, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, you could reach me at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at podfest.us or on Twitter, Chris Kremitzos. Uh, and then uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Chris Kremitzos. If you don't know how to spell my last name, Google will correct you. ChrisKremitzos.com. <laughs> awesome. Chris, thanks for joining us today, and I wish you peace, love, and superpowers. Thanks, man. You got it. Head over to First 100K for even more tools, tactics, and tricks that you can use to go to go from A to 100K. I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you on the next show. Cheers.